All right. Thanks, Jason, for leading us in prayer again this morning. And if you have your Bible this morning, I want to invite you to take it now and open it up to Psalm chapter 42. Psalm chapter 42 is where we're going to be today. And as you're turning there, I just want to mention a few things. Um, First of all, if you are new with us today, whether here at Maine or at East or listening online, uh, we're so glad to have you. Uh, We are a church that exists to help people know Christ and make him known. And that's why we're here. And we're glad that you're here with us today. Um, I also want to say this, especially for any of you who are college students who are graduating this semester. I know that there's probably only maybe a few of you, whether you're here at Maine or at East. I realize that this might be the last Sunday that we have with you. Um, And if that's you, I would love for you just to stop after the service, say hi. I just want to pray with you before you go, but just know that we are glad that the Lord brings college students here. And if UBC has been your church home during your college experience, um, man, we're just grateful that you're part of us. Um, I also want to say this publicly. um, I appreciate our worship team. I, I, week in and week out, I show up on Sundays and I'm so, you know, one of the things I really look forward to is singing with the saints and opening our mouths and our hearts to worship the Lord together in song. I love that we've got banjo guy up here today. Where's Josh? Like somewhere. Uh, man, it's so cool to see Josh playing banjo today. That, that's fun. And I like how they kind of led us today in these songs that were kind of uplifting and kind of upbeat and and pretty positive, you know, as we happy songs. But here's the reality. Sometimes, isn't it true, sometimes you need a song that just expresses sadness, right? Like sometimes there's value there. Sometimes you need those songs specifically at Christmas time. And uh, here's the thing. All through the generations, um, you know, there has, when I say generations, I'm basically talking about like the past six decades. Okay, Every, for the past six decades, generations have had their, their favorite sad Christmas songs, okay? So back in the 40s, it was Bing Crosby and his song, what? I'll be home for Christmas, if only in my dreams. Kind of a sad song, actually, the more you think about it, as familiar as we are with those things. In the 50s and 60s, you had Elvis, right, singing Blue Christmas. Um, in the 70s, there was this interesting popular song called Lonely This Christmas, which was by a band called Mud, which actually just impersonated Elvis and got a popular hit song, which was funny. Um, in the 80s, you had Last Christmas by Wham, which, you know, it's still all over the radio. I don't know why, but my teenage kids love that song. Makes no sense to me. Uh, in the 90s, we had the worst Christmas song of all time, Mariah Carey, with All I Want for Christmas is You, right? Um... All right. Now, here's the thing. Love it or hate it, here's the thing. You pay attention to the words, and it's actually kind of a sad song. Like, someone's just lonely. You know what I mean? So, had to just give a little jab to Mariah Carey. All right. She takes all sorts of bad rap. Um, In the early 2000s, we had Christmas Shoes, right? Kind of a sad Christmas song. Uh, And then in the 2010s and, and teens, we had Christmas Lights by Coldplay. And, you know, the songs go on and on. We'll see what the 2020s bring. It's going to be interesting uh, to look back on that someday. But sometimes you just, you need a sad song. There's value there. And sometimes you need that song at Christmas. Today we're going to be looking at a, a song in the Bible in which the writer is going through a sad season. Uh, this is week two in our sermon series called Christmas in the Psalms. And in this series, we are visiting various chapters in the book of Psalms in order to get our hearts ready to worship the Lord and focus on Him at Christmas time. And today, we're going to be looking at actually two chapters from the book of Psalms. We're going to look at Psalms chapter 42 and Psalm chapter 43. And we're going to cover both of those chapters today because in the original language, both of those chapters were actually combined as one song. There's no division between them, even though in our English translation, we put a chapter division there. 
But if you look at these two chapters in the original language, you can see that they're like one song with three stanzas and a repeated chorus at the end of each stanza. So stanza one is basically chapter 42, verses one through four. Then you have the chorus in verse five. Stanza two is chapter 42, verse six through 10. Then you have the chorus repeated in verse 11. And then stanza three is verse 43, verses one through four. And you have the chorus repeated again in verse five. And so this chorus is kind of the main theme of the song. It's the refrain that we keep coming back to. And the chorus that's repeated, it just continually says this. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So Psalm chapter 42 and Psalm chapter 43 are meant to be read and sung as one song. And this song is about this. It's about having hope in a season of sadness. Having hope in a season of sadness. Now I'm thankful to be able to open God's word and preach this portion of scripture because for some of us, listen, some of you, hope in God is what you need right now. For some of the rest of us, hope in God is maybe not our greatest felt need right now, but someday it'll be there. We'll need it. See, some of you come into the room today and you're good. You're, you're doing fine. Your family dynamic is strong. It's healthy. Your work is stable. There's no major crisis. Some of you are college students. You're grad. You're getting ready to finish out the semester and grades are good. And you're going home for Christmas break. Like You're good, right? If that's you, here's what I want to say. Don't check out of this message. Don't check out of this message because here's the, the truth, here's the reality. Your dark days will come. Your heavy days will come. And even if they're not for you right now, the Lord may bring somebody into your life very quickly that you need to walk alongside and you need to be equipped and prepared to walk alongside them. And my prayer is that this teaching through Psalm 42 and 43 will help prepare you for just that. Others of us who are in the room today, you know, we are in seasons of life where things have been hard. You might be here today and, you know, things are dark. You know, there's been heartaches. There's been loss leading up to Christmas, disappointments, fears, worries. It's supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year. And you can fake the smile and Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. But inside, you know, it doesn't feel like the most wonderful time of the year. It feels like a terribly sad time of the year. If that's you today, I am so glad you're here. God has given us this passage of Scripture to meet us in moments like the ones you're in right now. So Psalm 42 and 43 aren't just given to prepare you for future sadness. They are given to comfort you in present sadness. And I'm grateful to be able to preach this passage today. So let me go ahead and read it now. Psalm chapter 42 and 43, God's Word reads this way. It says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. And here's the chorus. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Second stanza. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and from Hermon and from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. 
By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? In the chorus again, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Chapter 43 leads us into the third stanza. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Last chorus. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is God's good word for us today, and I am so thankful to be able to open it with you. Before we get too far into this psalm, I want to just understand um, a couple kind of interesting points from its background. If you look at the header of Psalm 42, you can see that this psalm was written by a group called the Sons of Korah. The Sons of Korah were Israelite men. They were from the tribe of Levi. The Levites were responsible for leading the Israelites through their worship in the temple. And the sons of Korah, their job as Levites was specifically to lead the singing. So second, uh, they, were, they were like the, the Phil Wings, right? Phil Wings, son of Korah. They were like the Dan Mance, right? The Jonathan Lyons, the Ethan O'Neills. These guys are, they are, were doing that same job. Second Chronicles chapter uh, 20, verse 19 says that the sons of Korah were men who praised the Lord with a very loud voice, right? Um, every once in a while when I'm sitting in the worship service with my kids and I'll start to sing, every once in a while my kids will nudge me and they'll look up at me and I'm like, what, what's going on? And they're like, dad, you're singing really loud. And I'm like, I'm just a son of Korah. What do you want me to say? Like, this is what we do. This is what we're doing, right? So this is what's going on. These sons of Korah were like men in the church who like, they were unhindered, man. They sang, they praised the Lord. They engaged the, the congregation in singing. Like, I hope our church is full of sons of Korah. Men in the church, let's lift our voices, right? When we sing, like, we're all in. Commit, right? We want, none of us want to see half-hearted singing from the men. Like, go for it. Nobody cares if you're any good, right? It's more important for you to be... Uh, sincere and robust in your singing that it is for you to be good. You know, people will, re will appreciate and respond to that. Just a little side sermon. All right. Now, this song was written by the sons of Korah, which meant that it was given for congregational singing. So keep that in mind as we read. But this congregational song also has a second aspect to it. The header also says that this is a maskil. Mass skills, as we've taught before, are teaching songs, songs that are sung in order to remind people of truths or to give instruction to them. So the problem is that sometimes we read the Psalms, we see them as merely these poetic expressions, right? Like, kind of like when you need a Christmas song, right, that just expresses your emotions. You don't, you don't really want anybody instructing you about it. You don't want people telling you what to do. You just want to be left alone with your feelings, Right? Do not read Psalm 42 and 43 that way. That's not the purpose of this psalm. Yes, there is poetic expression here. Yes, there is uh, emotion in this song. But this song is to be sung 
um, with an instructional intention. So we must read it not only as poetry, but also as teaching. This is a teaching song, a mascal. So if this is a congregational song that's meant to be sung, and part of singing it is to remind us of truth and to uh, give us instruction, here's the question. What is this song intended to teach us? What is this song intended to teach us? Here's the answer. Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 are teaching us how to have hope in a season of sadness. How to have hope in a season of sadness. The author continually uses the word downcast throughout this this song. He refers to his soul being downcast. To be downcast literally means to have your head down, to have your eyes hanging low. It's like when you hear people say things like, I just don't feel I can lift my head. Right? They're downcast. And that's the, the posture, that's the, the attitude of the heart that this psalmist is writing. So what I want us to see from this passage is this. I want us to work through this, and really I want us to talk about two things. I want us to talk about the reality of being spiritually downcast, and then I want us to look at the remedy for being spiritually downcast. The reality of being spiritually downcast, and the remedy for being spiritually downcast. And my prayer really has been for those of you who come in this room today, and you're in a season of being downcast, my prayer is that God would grant you hope today, that he would grant you hope. So let's start by looking at the reality of being spiritually downcast. This may seem so obvious, but I just want to state it forthright. It is a very real thing for believers in Jesus Christ with the hope of the gospel in their heart, with God Almighty in their life, it is a very real thing for us to still find ourselves downcast. Um, There are times when we are just sad on the inside. It's part of being human, and the Lord knows that about us. The author of Psalms um, expresses it this way in Psalm 42, verse 1 and 2. He says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for the living God. Right? He's He's spiritually parched. You ever gone through a dry season in your life spiritually? Maybe you've gone through those seasons where you're like, you know, Lord, I'm, I just feel dry. I feel empty. This is, this is what's happening here. His, he's panting um, like a deer. Now, now, for some of you, you can't really relate to this. Maybe the closest way you can relate to this is you grew up in a church that sang the old hymn. As the deer panteth, what? For, okay, I'm just kidding. You don't have to sing it. But for some of you, you know, that's what you remember. And that's about as far as you can relate with this hymn. For me, I grew up in northern Michigan hunting, or going to northern Michigan hunting with my dad. And so, you know, hunting uh, deer is just kind of a thing that's easy for me to envision. I can envision uh, hunters walking through the woods and deer kind of running away from them. And, you know, every once in a while you'd be walking through the woods and you would hear this deer jumping and crashing and running through the woods. And it's so quiet there that, you know, when you, when you stop and when that deer stops running, after they've been running for a, for a long time, you know what you can do? You can hear their heavy breathing. You can hear it through the woods. This is the picture that's in my mind, right? That, that the psalmist is feeling like this. Over and over in this text, he mentions how he has enemies that have been in pursuit of him. He talks about how they are accusing him. They are oppressing him. They are taunting him. He feels like he has deadly wounds that have taken root in his body. That's what he describes here. So he is worn down. And he's longing for God to intervene. He needs God to refresh his soul because he is spiritually dry. That's his expression of being downcast. He also expresses it like this in chapter 42, verse 3. He says, 
My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Guys, what a, what a vivid word picture to look at there. My, my tears have been my food. You ever been in one of those places where you're so down, you don't even want to eat or drink? And you just feel like you just cry and you weep over and over again. And really, the tears running down your face are the only thing that's entering in your mouth. That's what he's dealing with here. He feels spiritually depleted. He's down. He expresses it. He says it very plainly in chapter 42, verse 6, when um, he says that my soul is downcast within me. I just want to make it you know, clear. Like Being spiritually downcast is a reality. It's part of us being God's people, but being human at the same time. And the reason why I point that out, guys, here's why I'm emphasizing this as a basic, basic point from the beginning. Because you will find some circles of Christianity and Christian teaching that will say to you, like, you know what? Hey, if you're following Jesus, you should never be down. You've got the Lord in your life, man. It should just be joy all the time. You know, you know, this is the problem with prosperity preachers. They preach, you know, health. They preach wealth. They preach prosperity. Everything's good, good, good all the time. And the problem with prosperity preachers is like they just love to pick and choose their favorite passages and just totally neglect passages like the Psalms. Where the psalms, the psalmist is down, and yet in the same time, even these passages of lament and sadness and desperation from the heart of the psalmists, you know what these are? These are Holy Spirit-inspired scriptures, right? We don't just ignore these. It's part of God's Word. There are other circles of Christianity that will say this, you know, yeah, spirit, being downcast is spiritual reality, but, you know, it's only reality for the spiritually immature, if you're a mature Christian, you won't really struggle with this. And again, these t- the people who teach this way, I, they need to be rebuked and corrected by their Bible. Because David, man after God's heart, godly man in Scripture, what is he? Repeatedly downcast throughout the Psalms. Psalm chapter 6, he says, uh, my tears fill my bed. Right? Elijah, the great prophet of God, said, Lord, uh, just please take my life in 1 Kings 19. Job, one of the most godly men on the earth in his day, uh, he, he gets so down that he says, God, why didn't I just die at birth? Jeremiah the prophet got so downcast that he said this, cursed be the day that I was born, chapter 20, verse 14 of Jeremiah. Even the apostle Paul got so downcast and he says this, we were so burdened beyond strength that we even despaired of life, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Here's my simple point. Guys, these are all mature Christians. Mature believers, the mature people of God can struggle with being downcast. So don't believe any teaching to the contrary. This is why I love the Bible. The Bible is God's book. It is the most honest, truthful book that we have. Speaks of the reality of the human condition. And part of what it speaks to us in truth is that being downcast is a reality. That's what we see here in Psalms. But this Psalm, these two chapters, they don't just address the reality of being spiritually downcast. They also address the remedy for being spiritually downcast. So let's talk about the remedy. Um, chapter 42, verse 11, right? We, we start to see this chorus of the song being repeated three times. And what does that chorus say? Why are you cast down, O my soul, And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. 
for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is the repeated refrain. This is what the psalmist comes back to. He says it in verses 5 and 6 of chapter 42. He says it in verse 11 of chapter 42. And again in verse 5 of chapter 43. And what I want you to catch is, is this. The psalmist is doing what we've been talking about over the past few weeks as we've looked at the book of Psalms. The psalmist is starting to preach to himself. He's instructing himself. He's telling himself what to do. Years ago, one of my uh, friends suggested to me that I needed to start really reading and listening to the teaching of uh, Pastor David Martin Lloyd-Jones, pastor from London in the 1900s. I believe he died in the 1980s. Um, But he spoke on a lot of things, but one of his lasting works is a book called Spiritual Depression. And in that book, Spiritual Depression, Martin Lloyd-Jones is, is reflecting on Psalm 42, and here's, here's what he says, a uh, quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. He says, Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? And then he starts to talk about the psalmist in, 40, in chapter 42. He says, Now this man's treatment was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? He asks. His soul has been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and he says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. So what's the remedy for being spiritually downcast? The remedy is that we must preach to ourselves and and say to ourselves, hey, self, hope in God. Hope in God. Now, here's the thing. Even in me saying that, I know that this sounds like such a cliche. Right? I know that... Some of you are thinking, okay, I'm not going to deny that. I see it in the Bible, but come on, easier said than done. How do we actually do this? And I want you to know, like, that question has really been what's on my heart leading up to today's message. I, I think Psalm chapter 42 and Psalm 43 give us a few pointers on how we actually hope in God. And so my, my hope is that over the next few minutes, I can give you a practical tool to help you Walk through the process of hoping in God the next time you find yourself down. I, I don't usually do this, but today I want to give you an acronym. Um, I, I'm not trying to be, I don't know. I'm, I'm not, it's not what I normally do, okay? Um, and yet at the same time, if you don't have something memorable, uh, I, you know, I don't know how you work yourself quickly through a process of hoping in God. So I hope that working through this acronym helps you the next time you're down to open your Bible Open it up to Psalm 42 and 43 and say, Lord, I want to work through this. Today, I want to talk to you about hoping in God through this acronym, ASAP. Hoping in God, ASAP. The first A stands for this. Ask your honest questions to him. Ask your honest questions to him. Guys, this is what the psalmist does all through these two chapters. He asks honest questions, right? In verse chapter 42, verse 3, he says, my tears, I'm eating them. And you can tell that he's, he's like hearing voices in his head. And these voices that he's dealing with in his head are saying, hey, where's your God? Where's he gone? Maybe sometimes you've had a time in your life where you wonder, hey, God, are you still there? Where are you? Ask your honest questions. Chapter 42, verse 9, the psalmist says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? You ever had a moment like that in your life where you're like, God, it feels like you've forgotten me. Do you remember me anymore? 
Here I am. Chapter 43, verse 2, the psalmist asks this question, Oh God, why have you rejected me? Here's the thing about the writer of the Psalms. The psalmist knows deep in his heart he's not forgotten. He knows he's not rejected. And we know that because in chapter 42, verse 8, he actually says this, day by day, your steadfast love is with me. Right? So he knows that truth. In chapter 43, verse 2, he says, God, you are my refuge. You're the place I can run to when I'm feeling attacked or afraid or on the run from my enemies. I can, I can turn to you. He knows he's not rejected by God, but he feels like he's rejected by God. So what does he do? He just lets the questions out. And the takeaway for us, guys, is this. Sometimes we just need to let our deepest questions out. Sometimes it's just helpful for us to say, God, like, what's wrong with me? God, is anybody ever going to love me? God, why did you have to let that happen? God, why do people die? God, where are you? Are you even real? In those moments, here's the truth. I know that most of us believers, I know that we know the answers, but we're just not feeling the answers. And part of processing this is just getting our questions out. And here's the reality. Like, sometimes we feel guilty about being honest with God about our questions, but here's the reality. God already knows what you're asking. He already knows your heart, right? Just get it out there, right? It helps for us to get it out. So hoping in God starts with asking your honest questions to him. Here's the second part. Here's what the S stands for in ASAP. Summon your past memories with him. Summon your past memories with him. When we get down, one of the best disciplines that we can do is to reflect on our past. We remember the difficult times from before and we say, no, God met me there. I didn't know how I was going to make it. I didn't know how life was going to go on. I didn't know how this need was going to be met. Yet, I look back and God did it and here I am today, sustained by his grace. Right? We can reflect on our past and look back. I like how through this psalm, the psalmist continually calls himself to remember. You see him do it in Psalm 42, verse 6. You see him do it here in Psalm 42, verse 4. Here's what he says in verse 4. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. So what you've got here is one of the sons of Korah, right? His job and his responsibility was to lead the singing. So what's he doing? He's reflecting on sweet times in his past where, yeah, he's went with the people to the house of God and they've sung to the Lord together and the Lord has met with them in their congregational worship. Church family, do you know what our congregational assemblies are intended to be? They are to be times where we experience God. In other words, our Sunday worship services are not to be a place where we show up for an hour, uh, maybe hear a few good songs from a decent band, listen to a talk, maybe learn a thing or two, and then if it's any good, we'll just drop a little tip in the box on the way out. Right? That's not what Sunday worship is, right? The gatherings of the saints, right? We know this. They are to be times where the saints experience God, right? We sing to God. We pray to God. We hear from God. We experience God. And see, there are going to be times when our meetings, our assemblies like this are going to be so personal. They're going to be so meaningful 
that when we're down and we're wondering where God is, is he even real? Lord, Lord, are you even with me anymore? You're going to be able to remember these times with the gathered, assembled saints, and you're going to say, God met me there. He spoke to me. He touched my heart. And I know God is real. I know he's here because I have met him in the assembly of the saints. Maybe you have those, those memories of times where you've gathered with the people of God in the past and God has touched your heart. He's done something strong in your life. Kind of recently for us, you know, we just, remember when we had 16 weeks of doing services online only during COVID and then we started to reassemble? Some of you brought your chairs out and sat on the grass or in the church parking lot and we would just be sitting there and maybe barely started the singing, started the preaching and people, I would just look and people are just weeping. Why is that? It's because God does something special when his saints come ready to worship and experience him together, right? These are the types of things that show us, yes, God, you are with us. So summon your past memories with God. It's part of hoping in him. Here's the third part of hoping in God. The second A stands for acknowledge. Acknowledge your present need of him. Acknowledge your present need of him. When we look at our text, we can see that our, the psalmist here, man, he's telling, Lord, I need you. He's saying it very, very clearly. Verse, uh, chapter 43, verse 1, he's saying, Vindicate me, O God. Defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. So catch what the psalmist is saying. He's saying, God, I need you to do some things here. I need you to defend me. I need you to deliver me. Because here's the thing. He had come to grips with the reality that he couldn't do it himself. These things were out of his control. God alone had to just do it or, or else it wasn't going to get done. And here's the problem. So many times for us, when we find ourselves downcast, when we find ourselves troubled, you know what it stems from? It stems from the fact that we're still trying to hold on tightly to control. And when we feel like we're losing control and we don't know how things are going to go, we can start to get so troubled in our spirits. When we really, we need to remember God is in control of everything. What does the psalmist say? He actually says in verse, um, what is it? Verse seven, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls and your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Hey, when we feel like we're going at wave after wave of trouble, when hardships are coming our way, Let's not forget, like, God didn't lose control in those situations. Your waves, Lord, your waterfalls. God is working these things out. He's doing something there. Yes, we need God to deliver us. These things get difficult. And the psalmist cries out and says, God, you're allowing these things to happen. Now I need you to deliver me from them. But here's the thing. There's a deeper truth for us to see in this passage. It's not just about God delivering us from our dark circumstances. I want you to look at chapter 43, verse 3. The psalmist says this. He says, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. See, the psalmist didn't just ask God, hey, just, just deliver me from my enemies. Just deliver me from my dark circumstances. He says, God, lead me, guide me, bring me. Where? Bring me to your holy hill. Bring me to your dwelling. In other words, the psalmist didn't just want to be led into better circumstances. He wanted to be led to God. 
And that is such a key point for us to understand and consider. In our seasons of sadness and being downcast, what do we really want? Do we really just want, are we going to be satisfied with like just a more convenient life or do we want God? And here's the thing I want to just free you in your conscience with, okay? It's okay to want both. It's okay to want both. The psalmist is asking for both. Lord, deliver me from my enemies and lead me to yourself. It's okay. But here's the problem. So many of us would settle for better circumstances alone. God wants to lead us to himself. Hoping in God means acknowledging our present need, not just of better circumstances, but of God himself. And here's the last part of hoping in God. The P of ASAP stands for proclaim. Proclaim your future worship of him. Yes, you ask him your honest questions. Yes, you summon your past memories. Yes, you acknowledge your present need of him, but also you proclaim your future worship of him. In 43, um, verse 3, the psalmist says, Lord, bring me to your dwelling place. And then he follows it right up with this in 43, verse 4 and 5. He says, then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I, what? Shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. I want you to notice how the psalmist talks about his future. He's saying, hey, Lord, there are some things that I, I, they're going to happen again. He's talking to himself about what will happen. I I will praise you. I will meet you at your altar, O God. I shall praise him, he says. You know, remember, this is a writer in Psalm 42 and 43. He's sad. He's in turmoil. He's downcast. And yet he proclaims what he will do. He will what? Worship the Lord. Guys, what song did we just sing right before we preached here? We sang the song, Yes, I Will. Yes, I will lift you high when? In the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when? When my heart is heavy. All my days, yes, I will. The good days and the bad days. The joyful days and the tough days. The meaningful days and the days that seem meaningless. All those days, Lord, yes, I will praise your name. You know what's happening in that song when we sing, yes, I will? We are doing what? We are preaching to ourselves. We are telling ourselves what we're going to do. Yes, we will do it. It's very similar to what's going on in Psalm 42 and 43. I will hope in God. So here's the thing. If you are downcast, part of hoping in God is telling yourself what you will do. You need to preach to yourself the way the psalmist does. And you say to yourself things like this. I may not be feeling it now, but I know what I will do later. I may not want it in the present, but I know what I will do in the future. I will not be down forever. This darkness will lift and my lips will praise your name again, oh my God. My salvation, my rock, my refuge, I will praise you. You must proclaim that you will worship in the future. So how do we have hope in a season of sadness? We hope in God, A-S-A-P, by asking our honest questions to him, by summoning our past memories with him, by acknowledging our present need of him, and by proclaiming our future worship of him. And you know why we can do this, church family? You know why 
It's because our God is who the psalmist says he is. The psalmist says that God is my what? My salvation. This is how Psalm 42 and 43 tie right into Christmas. Because on the first Christmas morning, the angels appeared to the shepherds in the field and said what? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a what? Savior who is Christ the Lord. Before Jesus was born on that first Christmas morning, the Lord said to Joseph about his fiancee Mary, he said, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. What do we remember at Christmas? God is a God of salvation and Jesus brought God's salvation to man. And Jesus didn't come just to save us from a life of trouble. He came to save us from the consequences of our sin. So church family, Jesus is the one who brings salvation. So the question is, can you say with the psalmist today that God is my salvation? Can you, can you say that Jesus Christ is my savior? Right, that's what the psalmist says. He says, God is my salvation. Can you say that about Jesus? Can you say that he is my savior? Because so many times, you know, people will say, yeah, Jesus is the Savior. Well, you know who else can say accurately that Jesus is the Savior? Satan can say that. Jesus is the Savior, yeah. It's different when he's my Savior. Have you repented of your sin and believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation? If you have, you've been forgiven of your sin and he has become your Savior. It's personal. So trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then you'll be able to say, he's my salvation. And in God, there is hope, even when you're downcast at Christmas season.